Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. My New Year's resolution is... Well, you'll find out in the next few minutes. Plus, predictions about Canada's economy and interest rates in 2024, facial recognition technology in airports and the border, and the vehicle shopping trends for 2024 to look out for. GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Two New Year's resolutions we go. Because many people are starting 2024 with thoughts of getting healthier, striving to do more, whatever that more is, advancing their relationship, maybe taking another step up in their career. A lot of different things that you can look at in terms of creating a New Year's resolution, including eating healthier. That's a big one. Hey, working out? You know it. And I ditched all my junk food. What the heck is going on here? Sorry, buddy. Clean house. It's all health food. Well, I may have to take it, but I don't have to like it. <laughs> or just you know, creating that list is a big one. The goal of this meeting is to get everybody excited about their resolutions. Who's been good about their resolutions so far? Erin, tell us about it. Well, my goal was to learn a new word every single day. And I must say that it is going immensely. Cool. Creed. I noticed you don't have a resolution on the board. What's yours? I want to do a cartwheel, but real casual, like none of them make a big deal out of it. But I know everybody saw it. There's one stunning, gorgeous cartwheel. How's it going? I'm having a little trouble motivating. One of the hardest parts about making resolutions is keeping them. In fact, most resolutions are abandoned by February. Or sooner. <laughs> yeah. It's not a joke. But that's okay, because it's not about being perfect, it's about trying. In fact, why don't we go around and confess some of the ways that we've already fudged on our resolutions? Well, I said that I would eat more vegetables, and I haven't yet, but it's okay. I still have time. Since last year, I ate none. Okay, well, my confession is that today I had a sip of coffee, but that's fine. Is it? Yes, because with all of your support, by this time next year, maybe I'll be down to one glass of iced tea a week. Next year? Come on. I mean, what is the point? What is the point of that? I made a resolution to floss, and I did it. 1201, January 1st, bam, blood everywhere. Not all of us are Michael freaking Scott. What is wrong with you people? Can't you stick to anything? That's a hard thing to do. Making the resolution is one thing. Sticking to it is another. There's a recent poll from Forbes that shows the most popular resolution for 2024 was improved fitness. 48% of the people that they asked pointed to improved fitness as their resolution for this year. 38% said improved finances. 36% said better mental health. 34% want to lose weight. And 32% want to improve their diet. All noble resolutions and targets. But this same poll also found that 62% of respondents feel pressured to set a New Year's resolution, right? Maybe you have a family member or a friend who is setting a New Year's resolution. You, you kind of feel that pressure to say to yourself, maybe I should do something too. What's that something? 80%, this is where this, this recent poll really gets interesting. 80% of the people that uh, target something to improve upon, or maybe do better in 2024. 80% feel confident in their ability to reach that goal. 
when in reality the average resolution lasts just over three months. And just 13% of people go beyond four months. Just 13% will go beyond four months with their resolution. One popular resolution is giving back, giving back to the community. Hey, boys. Hey, how you doing? Good. Okay, well, it's all set. I start tomorrow. Start what? I signed up to do volunteer work with senior citizens. Really? Yeah. God, I can't tell you how I feel. I mean, I feel so good. I really feel good. The strange thing is, I mean, I haven't even met the woman yet. (laughs) Volunteer work, huh? What are you going to do down there? Well, they say all it is is you go over to their apartment and, I don't know, you take them out for a walk, you get a cup of coffee, and it's supposed to make them feel good. That's what I do with them. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a good one, too. Volunteering. Maybe it's at a local food bank or a homeless shelter. You know, two hot topics and big button issues we've talked about on this show. Food prices and the homeless homelessness crisis. Volunteer work is, is huge. It's huge. And the agencies that need volunteers really and greatly appreciate it. And yeah, you know what? You do feel good. For those of you who are looking for a spark, you're, you're kind of struggling to find a place in this New Year's resolution world. And maybe it is, yes, getting fitter or improving your finances, bettering your mental health, losing weight, improving your diet, all those popular ones. But how about this? How about this for the kids? Ask them to master the art of making silly faces in the mirror every morning. I think that's a resolution that they can tackle. Or ask them to become a certified superhero by cleaning up toys faster than a speeding bullet. That's a win-win scenario. They are nailing a resolution and your house is a lot cleaner than it probably already is right now. For you adults out there, aspire to, and this is a challenge for some people, aspire to make the bed at least once a month, at least once a month, once in 28 or 30 or 31 days, make the bed. Some people do not make the bed. I, I must make the bed when I get up in the morning. Drives me nuts when the bed is not made. How about this? Experiment with new recipes. When we talk about food prices being so high, well, maybe try something new. Don't start a new TV series until I finish at least the one I've already started. This is a big problem for many, (laughs) right? You get into a TV series and you're all in and then a new one comes out and and you want to start that because everyone is jumping in and that's a tough one. That's a tough one. This one for the family. I like this one. Start a No Tech Tuesday where we spend an entire day without any gadgets. Easier said than done. Or begin a recipe roulette night where each family member picks an ingredient for dinner. That could be fun. And here's one for your pets. You have a little dog or a cat or maybe a fish. Although the fish might be tough to tackle this one. Teach them to master the art of fetching items other than sticks or socks or toys like the TV remote. That would certainly come in handy. All right, my unique resolution for 2024, and this one's going to be tough. This one's going to be tough for me because I'm all in when it comes to my favorite sports teams, as you know. Dolphins, Leafs, Ticats, Raptors, Blue Jays. They've had more downs than ups, certainly. I I am making a resolution to be more positive 
about my favorite sports teams than negative. It's easy to, you know, get on their backs and say, come on, guys. I, my resolution for 2024, be more positive about my favorite sports teams. There Good you go. luck. Yeah, it's going to end on Sunday. Uh, or maybe tonight after the Leafs lose in LA. <laughs> You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Whether you are or not, I thought it was interesting to dive into why we do this. What's the psychological component of us as human beings say, you know what? With the calendar changing, I'm going to do this now, or I'm going to be better at that. Is this a healthy exercise? Dr. Simon Sherry is a professor in the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience at Dalhousie University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Sherry, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Knowing what we know about the lifespan of the average resolution, which lasts about three months, is it good for overall health to have or make a resolution? I think so. And I'll tell you why. It's good to have a temporal landmark like the beginning of 2024. We have such busy and pressured lives, we often don't get a chance to step back and take a look at the big picture and to ask ourselves what we might want to forget in 2023 and turn an eye toward improving in 2024. Is now the best time to do so? Because there's there's a lot of people that feel pressure to make a resolution. Why not, I don't know, in February or why not in the summer? I think any time is a good time for change. So that's a legitimate point. And you don't want your goals to be imposed upon you by societal expectations or other people. You tend to go further with goals if they're self-concordant. And by that, I mean, if they fit with who you are and how you rule, you want goals that reflect your personal interests, not what somebody else thinks you should be doing with your time. Is, is managing your expectations a big key to making your resolution stick or, or stick for as long as possible? Because, you know, someone might begin 2024 saying, I want to improve my fitness. According to a Forbes survey, improving fitness was number one on many people's list. And instead of saying, you know, by the end of this year, I want to be, I don't know, 10 pounds lighter. Is making a monthly goal or maybe a quarterly goal more realistic that you're going to achieve that at the by the end of the year? I think I'd want to even be more specific than that. You want to make a daily goal, if not an hourly goal, hmm. and be very specific and concrete about a goal that's doable. So wanting to improve your fitness globally is a good idea. But what specifically are you going to be doing at 4 p.m.? Are you going to bring your shoes to work? Are you ready if it's cold? Are you going to have a friend who shows up with you so there's greater accountability. You have to be very specific in the goals you make in order to fall through on them. For most of us, there's a massive gap between our intentions, like let's get more fit, and our actual behaviors, which is often sitting on the couch. And so how do we get that behavior that wants to head to the couch, get into the community to go for a walk or, or do whatever? Look around your social network, see who can help. Is there someone who could be a partner in your accountability, a partner in your change, someone who can join you in accountability? Often there's a greater power with we than just me. And there will also be other people in your social network who are likely to undermine the changes 
you're trying to make, whether that's <laughs> offering you chocolate when you're trying to eat healthier, or a couple of drinks when you're trying to drink differently. So other people can be real allies or underminers in this process. That's a great point. Dr. Simon Sherry is a professor in the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience at Dalhousie University. We're talking about New Year's resolutions or just resolutions in general. It doesn't have to be at this time of the year, although at this time of the year, they're uh, very popular, as you all know. What are the hardest resolutions to keep? The ones we tend to make at New Year's are notoriously difficult to follow through on. People are looking to drink differently. They're looking to stop smoking. They're looking to exercise more. They're looking to eat differently. And these are very difficult behavioral changes to make, let alone to maintain. Are there easy resolutions? Maybe someone listening right now thinking, I want to make one. I don't know where to start. Let's start with an easy one. I think you need to get down to the micro level. Don't set global goals like I'd like to lose 50 pounds. Make a very specific, concrete, and doable goal. Like I'd like to walk around the block one time a day starting at 5 p.m. And those are more obtainable goals. And if you can consistently hit those smaller goals, breaking them down into doable, specific chunks, then you can build upon that momentum and capitalize on making larger changes. Does Dr. Simon Sherry have a New Year's resolution for 2024? Yeah, it's pretty obvious. The last couple of days I've thrown on my pants on the way to work. I need to exercise a little more, eat a little healthier after overdoing it over a really great Christmas at my house. I'm with you there. Dr. Sherry, thanks for the time. Happy New Year. Enjoy the day. You as well. I enjoyed our conversation. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It was uh, certainly chilling in terms of Canada's economy in 2023. Maybe challenging is a better word. Our economy actually shrunk 1.1% in third quarter. And if the Q4 stats are also in a negative territory, we will officially be in a recession. So here in 2024, where is Canada's economy heading? Are there blue skies on the horizon? Pedro Antunes is the chief economist at the Conference Board of Canada and joins us on GMH. Pedro, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Thanks. How would you describe the overall prognosis for 2024 when you think about Canada's economy? What what are we in store for? Well, I think uh, a little bit more tough times ahead for sure. Um, you know, essentially what's happened over the last two quarters, as you just reported, a very weak growth. And that's because the Bank of Canada has been essentially trying to slow the economy down by hammering hard on the brakes here and uh, raising interest rates and making it very difficult for households. So there's no doubt that households are going to continue to feel this pain. Uh, at least the inf- on the inflation front, we're, we're doing well. Uh, so those pressures are easing. But certainly on the debt financing side of things, uh, you know, home affordability, all of these issues, we're going to continue to see some pain uh, until interest rates start to come down. And, and we don't see that happening until later this year. So those big factors will remain big factors until the Bank of Canada says, all right, a, a quarter point, a half a point, whatever the cut is, whenever they do so, those factors will continue to uh, be a drag on the economy? Well, exactly. Um, You know, what we've seen essentially uh, over the last, in fact, uh, since the first quarter of the year where we had a a fairly strong consumer at the first quarter of 2023, uh, we've seen essentially a flat consumer uh, over the rest of uh, over the rest of the year last year. And and that is essentially because of uh, 
debt financing costs taking away from the ability of consumers to spend on other things. Uh, and that's really slowed the economy down. It has got, luckily, we have seen inflationary pressures, not just in Canada coming down, but essentially globally coming down. So that's very good news. We know the Fed has announced that they will, the Federal Reserve Board in the US, that they will lower rates this year. So they're a little more upbeat, perhaps in our own central bank, about the timing of those uh, de de declines. But um, uh, nonetheless, the, there's still a lot of pain here to be had by a lot of households who are deeply in debt following the pandemic and following this kind of uptick in, in borrowing to purchase as much housing as we did over those, uh, over those two pandemic years. Piling on to these challenges, we have a housing crisis, you know, food prices continue to go up and, and will go up as predicted by uh, between two and a half to four and a half percent this year. How do those factors weigh in on Canada's economy right now? Well, this is where it's really important. I think there's a, a very important dichotomy in terms of what's happening to different households. You know, we keep hearing about the number of households having to access food banks uh, and the pain that inflation is causing. Now, when you think about how um, households, how much households spend on those kind of basic items like food, transportation and housing, when you look at lower income households, they spend nearly all of their income on those components, whereas higher income households and especially older higher income households that may not have any debt, this is a very different situation. So what we're seeing in the economy is kind of consumer spending is really kind of flattish, as I've just mentioned. But when you look at what the, where the pain is, it's really on those lower income, young households who are highly indebted rather than uh, rather than the older households and, and higher income households. So very, very different story, I think, uh, that isn't caught in the aggregate numbers. We're talking about Canada's economy as we head into 2024 here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Pedro Antunes is our guest. He's the chief economist at the Conference Board of Canada. We uh, learned that our population grew and quite rapidly last year, and immigration played a part in that. What's the impact on the economy? Are, are newcomers spending more or are they, are they more of a drag on our economic conditions? Yeah, that's this is a very important point. We've seen basically since 2022 a real turnaround in immigration. During the pandemic, of course, we had borders closed, embassies were closed, we couldn't travel. So immigration actually fell uh, on a net basis. We had uh, we had very weak immigration in those years. And in the last two years, in 2022, 2023, we started to see a, a, essentially a catching up of some of those uh, those lower immigration numbers. But now we've gone well beyond that. And immigration, especially what's called non-permanent resident stream, and that is temporary foreign workers, that is international students, and that is refugees coming in with two and three year work permits. Uh, those numbers have really ramped up and they continued very strong right till the third quarter of last year. So that's going to feed into the population growth this year. Very important. Now, the, the change is drastic, dramatic, I would say even. We've gone from essentially 1% population growth pre-pandemic to 3%, almost 3% population growth that we're going to see in 2023 and 2024. Uh, and that is a, a fundamentally dr dramatic change. And it does, obviously, when you see uh, people arrive in Canada, that they're going to need housing. They're going to put pressure on transportation, on housing, on and some inflationary pressures. 
But the other side to that story is they're adding to the labor pool and, and helping to fill a lot of those job vacancies that have been really hampering and, and, and causing some of these pressures, inflationary pressures in the economy that the Bank of Canada has been so worried about. So there's that dual piece that's, that we need to understand about immigration. But I, I would say immigration very strong right now, putting a lot of pressure. Great analysis from Pedro Antunes, Chief Economist with the Conference Board of Canada. Mr. Antunes, thanks for your time this morning. Enjoy the day. Well, thank you, and you too. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Many of you listening right now are hoping that 2024 is going to be much better financially compared to last year. And according to our next guest, it could very well be because he is out with a bold prediction when it comes to interest rates. Ted Rakshafen is the president and CEO of Tri-Delta Private Wealth and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ted, how are you? I'm great, Rick. How are you? I'm great. Happy New Year as well. And thanks for joining us today. Now, you recently wrote in the Financial Post that you believe the Bank of Canada is going to cut interest rates by 2% this year. What factors are you pointing to? Well, I think there's a few things going on. Number one is the history of the Bank of Canada is to wait too long to raise rates. And then when they finally do, they raise them quickly. And it works the other way around. They wait too long generally to lower rates. And when they finally do, they lower them quickly. Um, So that's some background. Uh, The other main piece is that uh, from what I can tell, the... uh, the economy in Canada, especially on a per capita or per person basis, is much weaker at the moment than maybe we're seeing and feeling in the overall numbers. Um, obviously, there's a lot of growth from immigration, but uh, on a per capita basis, I'm seeing lots of companies uh, cutting back, lots of uh, lots of negative economic signs and negative growth signs. Uh, and I think that's going to allow the Bank of Canada to uh, not only lower rates, but to move quickly. So when do you foresee this happening? Is it? I would assume it's not going to be a 2% rate cut out of the gate. This is going to be a gradual decline? Yes. Uh, well, yes, and yes, it'll be gradual in the sense that it won't be 2% in one shot. Um, however, you know, I basically have a, have a prediction. The prediction is that rates will start to come down uh, with the April meeting in 2024, so none in Q1. But uh, 25 basis point or quarter percent cut in April, and then it will be either 25 basis point or quarter percent or half percent cuts uh, over the next few meetings until we get to about a 2% cut. That's going to have a massive impact, not only on household budgets, uh, but mortgages as well. A lot of renewals coming, obviously, this year, as they do each and every year. Talk about that impact and what people will likely be doing with that money. Well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, there's no question um, that, in our view, that, that mortgage rates will be lower a year from now than they are today, um, although the biggest impact will be on variable rate mortgages. So if the Bank of Canada lowers rates by 2%, um, you know, for the most part, variable rate mortgages will be down by 2%. There's a couple other uh, factors in there, but that would be the main driver. Whereas a five-year fixed mortgage rate will be down, but will not be down as much because the five-year fixed rates are generally driven off of five-year bond yields. And five-year bond yields are already down uh, on the year in 2023 uh, at the same time as uh, short-term or overnight rates went up. So, so I think variable rate mortgages will come down a lot. Uh, five-year fixed, three-year fixed mortgages like that will come down, um, but maybe more like half a percent to three-quarters of a percent. 
Is there a mortgage package that is going to be more popular in 2024 than ever before? Is it going to be one year, three, five? Well, I think I think what's changed is there's a lot of people who have been doing one, two, three year fixed mortgages at the moment because rates are so much higher than what they were when their mortgage rolled over. Um, and so they kind of don't want to get locked into a really high rate. I think as rates start to come down, people will start to go back to more traditional, meaning a lot of people doing five-year fixed mortgages and people with a little bit more uh, comfort with, with variability and, and risk will do more five-year variable rate mortgages. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ted Rechaffin, the president and CEO of TriDelta Private Wealth. You can find them online at tridelta.ca, predicting a 2% rate cut at this time next year by the Bank of Canada with a, a number of decisive uh, rate declines. What does this mean for investors? What are they going to be looking at as they look at these numbers from the Bank of Canada go down? Well, from an investment perspective, you know, one of the things we we focus on primarily is we're a, a high net worth financial planning firm, uh, an investment counseling firm, so investment management. And, you know, when you have a conservative investor, a conservative investor generally is someone who invests in utility stocks, um, some bank stocks, things that tend to be less volatile and pay higher dividends. Well, they've been some of the worst places to invest over the last year and a half as interest rates have gone up. So conversely, as interest rates come down, those will be some of the better places to invest. So, you know, stocks like uh, uh, TransCanada Pipeline uh, or TRP is the symbol, um, you know, bank stocks, big bank stocks. Um, you know, any of the utilities, uh, also some real estate investment trusts. There's some very conservative uh, REITs or real estate investment trusts that invest in things like a Canadian Tire REIT or Sobeys grocery store REITs. And even those have been hit pretty badly in 2023 and are likely to bounce back in 2024. Last one for you, with interest rates where they are now, uh, if they were to decline by, let's just say, 2%, is there a real fear that it could reignite inflation? Well, it really is dependent on how the economy is overall. If the economy is really shrinking, um, then that's not a big chance. I mean, I think I think obviously Bank of Canada talks about that risk. I think there's always a risk of, of any of these moves having an impact, uh, particularly on the housing market. That's the one that they're most afraid of. So it certainly could increase house prices if mortgage rates drop 2%. Um, but I think overall, I think we're past the point, quite frankly, of significant worries about inflation. Interesting take from Ted Rechaffin, the president and CEO of Tri-Delta Private Wealth. Ted, appreciate the time. Thank you, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Air travel and border crossings may run much smoother in the future thanks to facial recognition technology. But, and you know there's another side of the equation here, many critics are worried about government surveillance. There is the Air Right Touch initiative here in Canada. It's one of many pilot projects that is really has an aim to have passengers move through airports using their own facial biometrics that's electronically connected to your passport. And this could also be one day used at the Canada-U.S. border as well. Dr. Ben Muller is an associate professor at Western University and an expert on biometrics and borders and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Muller, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. 
there's really two sides to this equation. Many people are saying it's about time, you know, it's it's 2024, but as you know, just as many, I'm sure, are thinking this is a bad idea. Let, let's get to the pros and the cons. We'll start with the pros. Why should this be in airports and at borders? Well, uh, I mean, I think the first is probably obvious to most listeners who have traveled um, that any way we can increase efficiency is probably going to be favorable to most people. And there is ways that this can do that. Uh, anyone who's used even, uh, you know, the much maligned ArriveCan app recently to see themselves go through an express lane at the airport, they see that there is some advantage to using some of these technologies to be able to move us through a bit quicker. And the cons to using facial recognition technology? Uh, I mean, the cons, I think, is where things get a lot more complex. Uh, Efficiency is fairly simple, whereas on the other side of it, there's a lot more moving parts to this. Uh, Something that becomes obvious very quickly is that these are effectively products that are being sold um, to to governments, to airlines um, and others. And so that introduces a whole other set of issues. So people simply want to sell a technology. So a lot of other concerns about the protection of personal information may not be at the forefront because what they're selling you is the efficiency. And sometimes some things are lost in that. And some of that may be the fact that as we know in Canada, Things like the Meher Arar case have shown sometimes when bits of personal data are interconnected um, by authorities, um, quite awful things can occur in the end. Um, and there can be, you know, people who are not guilty end up being f- find themselves on the wrong side of things. So I think that's a kind of glaringly obvious um, aspect to the downside. Some of the others are a bit a, a little bit more uh, nuanced. Um because in, in a sense, designing borders and how our how our borders function and how we as citizens interact with them has historically been something that's uh, pretty central to our governments and, and who we might even want to elect in terms of how, how that function occurs. Whereas now we're introducing a lot more private interests into that equation um, and how that looks and the extent to which it's being offloaded on us. I mean, I think that's another important part of this. Would uh, this... That we're, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, would this facial recognition data be stored anywhere? Well, I mean, there are different schemes. So some of them store things in a database. And then, yes, I mean, there is a database. And as uh, anyone likely knows, all databases have vulnerabilities, which means then people can hack into these and access our personal information. Uh, there are other instances where it is simply that the biometric in your passport and the capturing of your face, that there is a match between those two things, but nothing is ever stored. And by and large, these are the more favorable um, programs because some, there isn't a database to hack. But, you know, as as we've known with the uh, some of the pre-screening uh, issues at Canadian airports, for example, the body scanners, there was uh, some discussion early on that none of this data was being held. And then someone managed to hack in and find all sorts of um, of data there. So I think sometimes we're not always getting the full story. And even, I mean, the original article that sort of broke this a bit was related to an access to information request. And much of the most interesting things that you would want to see there are all redacted. So Got a couple more minutes with Dr. Ben Muller, Associate Professor at Western University and an expert on biometrics and borders. We're talking about facial recognition technology, perhaps one day being used at our borders and in our airports. When it comes to the the, the border aspect, I mean, we're in our vehicles. 
uh, you know, we're, we're talking to a CBSA agent or, or, or a border guard in the U.S. From a, uh, an application standpoint, how would that work? Would, would we just get a tablet thrust in front of our face? <laughs> well, I, I mean, we do have some systems already in place around the world that we can look to. Um, people may be familiar with how some of these uh, schemes kind of work within the European Union, for example. So you, you know, often set your passport on some kind of a reader, which could also be installed at a land crossing as well. <laughs> and then a camera looks at you and there's a kind of match being made. And once things are considered to be OK, the gate opens. And if they're not... Uh, either the gate doesn't open or you're diverted to a secondary inspection area. Uh, they've tested uh, even virtual kind of systems like this in the United States, something called Avatar, which looked very much like an ATM machine um, and was to take the place of the initial border agent doing the questioning to you. There's simply a face on the screen asking you questions and there are cameras pointed at you. Um, all of these, you still scan your passport. I think what's different in what's being proposed here is that it's moving towards passportless travel. Uh, and this is where we're talking more that things would have to be stored in a database in order for that to function properly. Interesting stuff. We shall see what comes of this. Uh, Dr. Muller, thank you very much for your time this morning. Enjoy the day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you very much, Dr. Ben Muller, Associate Professor at Western University, a leading academic expert when it comes to biometrics and borders. And a lot of people who are supporting this are thinking, you know, this is going to help identify potentially dangerous individuals, and that would be great. But on the other side of the equation is, you know, this might lead to greater government surveillance and an invasion of privacy. Especially when it comes to technology, I'm not, a, I don't think anybody is 100% sold that it is safe and has our best interests in mind. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A lot of what is going to happen on the show today will be look ahead type of stuff. What is going to happen? What's expected to happen uh, in this in this calendar year when it comes to your finances, the economy, uh, new technology when it comes to travel? I thought, you know, it would be kind of cool to talk about the automotive industry. We all love our cars and our trucks. And our motorcycles? Well, AutoTrader is out with its Automotive Trends Outlook for 2024. What are the top car shopping trends that we expect to see this year? Well, let's ask Jody Lai, the Editor-in-Chief at AutoTrader, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jody, good morning. How are you? Hi, Rick. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Happy New Year as well. And this is uh, quite timely with the Automotive Trends Outlook for 2024. Uh, as a whole, what what is the, what is the 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 biggest or or the one trend that really caught your eye coming into this year? I mean, I think it's going to be a big year for electric vehicles, but also other green vehicles like hybrids and plug-in hybrids as well. Um, there was some really big news at the end of last year about the Canadian government introducing some some new EV mandates. Um, and there's a lot of interesting innovations going on in that segment. So I'm really excited to see that uh, come into play this year. Are consumers kind of jumping into EVs more than ever? Are we seeing those stats kind of grow by the year? Well, actually, AutoTrader's data shows that EV interest has dropped over the last year. Hmm. Um, the number of people who don't currently own an EV who are willing to consider one for their next vehicle dropped 12% from the year prior, uh, which is really interesting because uh, we see a direct correlation with gas prices and EV interest. And because gas prices were uh, a bit more normal last year, 
we saw interest in EVs kind of soften. Uh, the price of EVs, I guess, doesn't help either. Um, no. So the price of EVs are are still uh, a little bit higher than their other conventional gas-powered vehicles that are similar in size. Um, and, you know, last year was was a very hard year economically for a lot of Canadians. So I don't think many of them were able to stomach that extra cost. Another big uh, trend for 2024 that uh, you expect to see is this is the year of the truck. How so? I mean, Canadians love their trucks. Yes. Um, Auto Trader's top search data shows that the Ford F-150 was the number one searched vehicle in the whole country. It's been that way for nine years straight. Um, but this year, our top search vehicles list also has a Ram 1500 on it. And that's the first time there have been two trucks on that list since 2019. Interesting to hear that because gas prices, as we know, aren't as cheap as they were a few years ago. They seem to be going up each and every year, although this year I think we caught a bit, a bit of a break. Um, and, and we know it takes a lot of money to fill these these trucks. Yeah, that's true. Although nowadays, like you can actually buy, you know, a fully electric Ford F-150 Lightning. You know, there's a Ram 1500 plug-in hybrid coming. So even in that sense, there's a lot more options for Canadians who need something like a truck for work or even for a lifestyle vehicle that is going to be a lot more fuel efficient. Very true. We're looking at the top automotive trends for 2024 with our guest Jody Lai, the editor-in-chief at Auto Trader, as you listen to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, some good news for those who are interested in pre-owned or used vehicles. What's happening here? What's What's the outlook? Well, last year, the pricing was a big story, right? So, you know, the automotive industry is still dealing with the hangover that we experienced from, you know, microchip shortages and inventory shortages back in during the pandemic. Um, and we've seen a little bit of softening in the in the new and used car pricing um, last year. So as long as that inventory continues to recover, we should continue to see those prices normalizing. Here in Ontario, uh, you mentioned that we love our trucks, and we certainly do, but it is sedans that continue to dominate the top 10 list. That's true. Sedans do dominate the uh, the top 10 list. However, the this is also the first year we've published the top sold list, which is a little bit different from years prior. And it's interesting to compare the top searched and the top sold because the top sold list is much, much more practical than the top search. So in the top sold list, we see lots of trucks and lots of SUVs and only one sedan. Interesting. The resiliency of Canadian car buyers. What's the expectation in 2024? Our research shows that Canadian car buyers are extremely resilient. And what that means is that they are not super affected by whatever pricing is happening in the marketplace. Um, when a lot of Canadians buy their vehicles, it's a timing thing. If they need a car, they're going to get a car. And uh, stuff like inventory and pricing isn't really going to stop them from getting it. Interesting stuff in the Automotive Trends Outlook for 2024 from Auto Trader. Jody, thank you very much for the time this morning. Enjoy the day. Thanks, Rick. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Jody Lai is the editor-in-chief at Auto Trader. 26% of respondents to a recent survey conducted by Auto Trader, 26%. About one in four say they plan to buy a vehicle in the next six months, which is interesting. I, I would have thought that would have been a little bit lower given the current economic climate and given the fact that a lot of us just spent a boatload of money on the holidays, right? But in the next six months, and you heard from Jody, you know, when people need vehicles, they go out and they get 
what they want or what they need in some cases. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.